Um, and I, I do have that video clip that I wanted to show you last week. It's only 26 seconds. This is Hollywood's version of Samson. My name is Samson. My name is Samson. And I serve the living God. And you have proven nothing. doesn't crush the guy. I told you that last week. I wanted you to see that because I, I wanted to reiterate that what? Oh, here it comes again. I wanted to reiterate that Hollywood's version of Samson is not really what we see in the scripture. He's, it's quite the story. His story needs to be told, but he's not your usual biblical hero that we talk about. And, and as always in these stories of Samson, we end up moving at the end of the sermon to the, the actual main focus of the biblical text, and that is who God is. We're going to do that again today. But in Judges 15, 1 to 20, when you thought it could not get any worse, right? When you thought last week was as bad as it could get with Samson, here we are at chapter 15. Just listen to this. Later on, at the time of wheat harvest, this is a few months later, Samson took a young goat and went to visit his wife, and he said, I'm going to my wife's room, but her father would not let him go in. He said, I was so sure you thoroughly hated her that I gave her to your friend. Isn't her younger sister more attractive? Take her instead. Samson said to them, this time I have a right to get even with the Philistines. I will really harm them. And so he went out and he caught 300 foxes and tied them tail to tail in pairs. He then fastened a torch to every pair of tails. He lit the torches and let the fox loose in the standing grain of the Philistines. He burned up the shocks and standing grain together with the vineyards and olive groves. And when the Philistines asked, who did this? They were told, Samson, the Timnite's son-in-law, because his wife was given to his friend. So the Philistines went up and burned her and her father to death. Samson said to them, since you've acted like this, I won't stop until I get my revenge on you. And he attacked them viciously and slaughtered many of them. And then he went down and staved, stayed in a cave in the rock of Etam. And the Philistines went up and camped in Judah, spreading out near Lehi. And the men of Judah asked, why have you come to fight us? We've come to take Samson prisoner, they answered, to do to him as he did to us. Then 3,000 men from Judah went down to the cave in the rock of Etam and said to Samson, don't you realize the Philistines are rulers over us? What have you done to us? And he answered, I merely did to them what they did to me. And they said to him, we've come to tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines. And Samson said, swear to me that you won't kill me yourselves. Agreed, they answered, we will only tie you up and hand you over to them. We will not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and led him up from the rock. And as he approached Lehi, the Philistines came toward him shouting. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax and the bindings dropped from his hands. And finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. And then Samson said, with a donkey's jawbone, with a donkey's jawbone I've made donkeys of them. With a donkey's jawbone, I've killed a thousand men. And when he finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone, and the place was called Ramath-Lehi. Because he was very thirsty, he cried out to the Lord, You have given your servant this great victory. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? And then God opened up a hollow place in the Lehi, and the water came out of it. And when Samson drank, his strength returned to him, and he revived. So the spring was called Enhakori, and is still there in Lehi. And Samson led Israel 
for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. I want to start by rehearsing the story because we see Samson as a bad example. I've said many times one of my favorite Mark Twain's quotes is, everybody serves a purpose in the world even if it's only to be a bad example. And the, digger we, the deeper we dig into the life of Samson, the more we see that to be the case, that he's being used by God to defeat the Philistines, right? But one wonders, as you read Samson's life, could this have happened another way? Did he have to be who he was to defeat the Philistines? Samson does some stuff that doesn't really line up. I've, I've made jokes about that, how if we actually drew sermon application from the life of Samson, we would be in a bad, dark place. But he does lots of things. He, first, he acts on his terms. He does what he wants to do when he wants to do it. He left the wedding, remember last week, without consummating the marriage on day seven. He went home, and so the father-in-law gave his bride to one of the, bri- the groomsmen. And several months later, in verse one, he decides to go to his wife's room. That means exactly what you think it means. Oops, she's married to someone else. And he says, this time, I have a right to get even. Makes you think, what about last time? Right? And once again, he's doing it on his terms. So he catches these foxes, he ties them together, he ties a torch to their tail, and he lets them loose in the grain fields at harvest time. And it it says, it it talks about the shocks of grain, the ones that had already been harvested were burned up, the standing grain was burned up, and even the vineyards and the olive groves, all the main crops of the Philistines were destroyed by these foxes running around pulling fire. And they respond very eloquently, by burning his wife and father-in-law to death. Lovely times in, in the area there. And in verse 8, he attacks and viciously kills, quote, many of them. You see how it's going back and forth. In, in verse 11, he says, I merely did to them what they did to me. She did it, he did it, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Samson is acting on his own terms. It's like the, the theme of the book of Judges from Judges seventeen six. In those days, Israel had no king, Every man did as he saw fit. And when people live that way, when we live like that, we enter into the cycle of evil and violence. You've got to see the cycle that's going around and around and around. He burns their crops in verse 5 because in verse 3, they had taken his wife, so he has a right to get even. Because he burns their crops in verse 5, They kill his wife and father-in-law in in verse 6. So in verse 8, he viciously attacks them and slaughters many of them. And in verse 9, they they come to fight the tribe of Judah. Notice how this is not just Samson and Philistines anymore. It's it's broadening its scope, the the cycle of violence that's going back and forth. In verse 10, they say, why did you come out? The, the, The men of Judah say, why do you come to fight us? Because we want to take Samson prisoner and to do to him what he did to us. You hear that? Back and forth. So the men of Judah go to Samson. Don't you realize, he says, that the Philistines rule over us? Now that's a big question for a Jew, right? Who rules over the Jewish nation? According to Scripture, it's Yahweh. But here they are, the Judah, the fighters, the leaders of the whole nation. And they say, Samson, don't you know these guys are in charge? They rule over us. Why did you come here? Why did you slaughter them? Why did you, do, why did you make trouble? And he says, I merely did to them what they did to me. You see that back and forth. And it just grows and grows. Because evil feeds on evil. 
I'm going to give you an example of that, and I'm not trying to make a political commentary at all. Please don't read into this. I'm just trying to describe what I see happening in retrospect. But you remember when the towers fell on 9-11 in the United States, and 10 days later, George Bush made a powerful, eloquent speech to, to the people of the United States and really to the whole world they were listening. And one of the things he said was, we will defeat terrorism. And they launched a, a, a counterattack. They began this, this fight against terrorism. And here's the question I've got for you. And I'm not saying what he did was right or wrong. I'm not trying to, like I say, I'm not trying to draw political commentary. I'm just asking you, is evil less in the world today? Has terrorism been defeated? It, it, because evil begets evil. Violence begets violence. That's, that's just a cycle. We see it between the Philistines and Samson. And, and it does it on a national scale. It does it in our individual lives. If we determine that we are going to refuse to forgive, it just returns back and forth and back and forth because evil begets evil. It's a cycle of violence. And in this situation, it even leads to the tribe of Judah, the best fighters in the nation, the ones that always went out first in battle, handing Samson over and betraying him to the Philistines. But that betrayal becomes a catalyst, doesn't it? They tie him up, they turn him over, which leads to an even greater slaughter. The Philistines come toward him shouting. The, word, the Hebrew word there is a war cry. They're excited. They've got him. He's all tied up. They're going to take this guy and they're going to put an end to him. And Samson breaks free and kills a thousand of them with the jawbone of a donkey. And in in Hebrew, which I don't read well at all, but the scholars tell me that he's very eloquent in what he says. And they try to get at it in in the English words, with a donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them. Uh, And there's one translator, Moffat, who actually translates the second half of that verse, which, which really I thought was quite creative. He says, with the jawbone of an ass, I have laid them out in mass. He gets that, it's not rhyming in Hebrew, but he uses wordplay to kind of say, look at what I've done. And then for the first time ever, we see Samson call out to God. You know, we sometimes forget that he has a relationship with God. I put a question mark at the end of that in your outlines because I'm really curious about what kind of relationship this is. It's what his prayer almost starts as praise, right? You've given your servant this great victory, but then it moves to being whiny and complaining. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? Far, far cry from, servant, I serve the living God. In the Hollywood version, right? He's come a long way. So here's the question. If, if Samson is such a bad example, why this story? Why is it in there? For that matter, why the whole book of Judges? Why do we have to read a story about the people of Israel who God has been faithful to constantly over and over and over, making the same mistake, getting worse and worse? Why spend a whole book on a story as depressing as this? Because when we start reading this, when we start looking at the life of Samson, we have to think, they must have been thinking, or I think, (laughs) is this the kind of ruler we want? Is this the ruler we want? This guy that can't... He, he, he just constantly has to return evil for evil. He's, his, his hands are full of blood. He reacts in vengeance over and over. In verse 20, it says he ruled, he judged Israel for the next 20 years. But really, is this the kind of guy that we want to say, this is our leader? 
that we want to point out to our children, this is the one. Is Samson that kind of guy? And related to that, is this the life we long for? Is this, is this the way we want the world to be? What kind of world is it creating? You know, Judges 17, 6, and those men, Israel had no king in those days, and every man did as he saw fit. Is that really the way we want the world to act? Fighting. Just the destruction of food. He destroyed an entire nation's harvest. Think about that. They, they burned their own people to get back at Samson. The, the, the tribe of Judah betrayed their Jewish brother. There's death and more death, magnified, bigger numbers, slaughter. And here's what strikes me about this story, is it feels a little too current. It feels a little too current. He did it to us, they did it to me. This cycle of revenge, this using power to oppress the other, and they use their power to oppress you. This growing hate and lots of people suffering, and the suffering grows, right? I know Samson slays a thousand men, and I know that was in your kid's Bible story book, but those thousand men had women, had wives and children at home. I mean, isn't there, doesn't that create something? Who wants a thousand people to be slaughtered and children to grieve because their dad's not coming home? You see, the world we live in Looks a lot like this. Our leaders are more sophisticated. They play their power and their oppression and their evil in in slicker and more technological ways. They have different tools than a donkey's jawbone. But this is a lot like our world. Right? And, And the world we live in is causing suffering and pain on a global scale. And Samson's story, as weird as it is, kind of reminds us of our world. And I think that's one of the reasons it's here, because some stories cultivate hunger. Some stories, when we hear them, resonate deep within us and cultivate a hunger for something different. St. Augustine said, You've made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. See, we live in this world and, and just like we saw in the sermon last week, we can get very comfortable in a really bad situation. It's just normal. Oh, well. Remember how they just said, well, this is what it is. Even Judah, right? The tribe of Judah saying, this, these Philistines, they rule over us. And their story touches us somewhere deep and it starts to cultivate this longing because we see the desolation of the, of the time of the judges and we look at the desolation in our world and the pain and the suffering and there's a, something deep inside of us that longs for something more. Psalm 63.1, David says, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Just reading that's making me thirsty. It's like we all fall asleep at the wheel and we get comfortable with this reality until something wakes us up and says, that's like us. That's what's happening in our world. And we have a longing for something different. And in Jesus, we find the leader that we long for. That's that's what's driving us to. Sometimes we forget how good he is. 
How important it is that we know that. You know, our longings drive us. We think it's knowledge. Sometimes that changes our behavior, but it's our longings. I've told you the story about my dad who smoked for 30 years and tried to quit all the time, could never quit. He knew smoking was going to cause cancer. He knew it was going to kill him eventually. But the one thing that stopped him from smoking was when my oldest sister got pregnant and she said, I would love for you to be alive to see your grandchildren. You know what he did? He quit smoking. He didn't learn anything new. It wasn't that he realized smoking was... All of a sudden, there was a longing for something different. I want to see those grandchildren too. And it's our longings that drive our behavior. It's not our knowledge. It's our longings. And we can know the right thing to do, but until it reaches the level of longing. And so I think this story is put there to help us realize this is not the world we want. This is not the way we want things to be. We've got to wake up and long for something better. You see, we feel that ache. We feel that ache and that hunger for this world, but we try to suppress it. We try to hide it. We try to run away from it because it's so uncomfortable. And what I'm saying is we need to embrace it. We need to feel it and let it drive us to live differently. You see, with Jesus as a leader, we see it a totally the polar opposite of Samson. He surrenders himself to serve. We read that when we went through Philippians, right? In Philippians 2, who being in very nature God did not consider equality God something to be grasped or to use to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Jesus surrenders himself to serve. He said it of himself in Matthew 20. The Son of Man didn't come to, to be served, but to serve. And you know what's fascinating? That Greek word there for service has changed in context because of the New Testament. Before the New Testament, that Greek was literally confined, that Greek word was confined to a waiter at a table. In fact, it was seen as a lowly form of service. It wasn't something that you would aspire to. And yet the the teachings of Jesus and the writings of the New Testament began to elevate and saying that table service is what Jesus did for us. And that's exactly why you came to a table today. He served you by laying his life down. He sacrifices himself. And and he surrenders to the will of God despite what it costs. And in an ironic term, we see that also in the life of Jesus, betrayal becomes a catalyst, doesn't it? Jesus was betrayed by one of his own. But that betrayal becomes a catalyst to something bigger. In this, there's a fascinating passage in John. The high priest says something to the people. The people are afraid because Jesus is going to get them in trouble with the Romans. And Caiaphas, the high priest, it says, then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize, just listen to his words, that it's better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. He's saying it's way better that we get rid of Jesus in order to save the nation. Isn't that ironic? And so from that time on, they plotted to take his life. You see, when Judas betrays him, it leads to what we saw last series in Philippians, Philippians 2.8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. He dies for us. And instead of entering that cycle of violence and evil, he dies because he knew something we don't often remember, and that is that forgiveness breaks the cycle. Forgiveness breaks a cycle. If there ever was a time for revenge, if there ever was a time to do to somebody what they did to you, it would be an innocent man, son of God, hanging on a cross. That was a time to get even. 
That was, a, that was the worst crime ever committed. If there ever was a crime that should be paid back for, it's that one. But what do we see in Jesus? He breaks the cycle in Luke 23. He says, Father, forgive them to the very people crucifying him. They don't know what they're doing. He had every right to do to them what they were doing to him. But he forgives. It's what he taught. It's what his followers taught in the early church in 1 Peter 3.9. Peter writes, do not repay evil for evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. See, this is the kind of leader that we want. This is the kind of world that we long for. And it's the kind of leader that we have in Jesus. We saw that in Philippians 2, right? Again, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, we walked through that whole story today. You know, we sang, King of heaven, come down. We are with you. We want, to, we want to realize that you're with us. And Mark led us in a prayer of confession. And then we, 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 we heard proclaimed again that Jesus is enough. I will worship you for who you are. You, you've been everything I need. And then we, we, he served us at the table by reminding us that his body was broken for us and his blood was shed for us. And see, while Samson's story leaves us wanting and aching for a different kind of world. Jesus' story calls us to respond. Freely you have received, freely give, he says. That's in, in Matthew 10, 8. His words to his disciples when he sent them out. Freely you have received, freely give. Most of you got up and went to a station today for communion. You saw, you saw something like this picture right here. Let me just ask you a question. Did any of you, for this, the, the picture you saw, did it look more like this? No, right? That was a free gift that Jesus offered to us. His body and his blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. He just says, come. Come and take. See, with you, Jesus has broken the cycle. Instead of giving you and I what our sins deserve, he's given us love and forgiveness and grace, he's given us himself. And he says to us, I want you to respond to the world the same way I have responded to you. Freely you have received, freely give. To break the cycle of violence with forgiveness. To break the cycle of evil by forgiving. When you are betrayed, let that be a catalyst for you to offer the love of God to the world around you. If Samson was a good example of a bad example, Jesus is our example. And the question for us is, how does that look in your life this week? If you'll just, we're going to close, bow your heads with me in prayer. I just want to guide you for a minute in a prayer as we pray. And I want you to think of a situation, maybe God's laid it on your heart, even as I was talking this morning, where there is an opportunity for you to repay somebody for what they have done to you, whether it's withholding forgiveness, whether it's being unkind, whether it's ignoring them, whether it's hurting them, taking advantage of them, whatever it may be. And I want you to say to God, God, this is really hard for me because they hurt me. But I want you to ask him how he wants you to respond. 
What tangible way can you show the love and grace that you've been shown to the people around you this week? What tangible way can you freely give what you have been given? God, lead us. We, we get so dulled to the world around us. We just expect it to be the way it is. And yet we see that, Jesus, you lived in such a countercultural way. You lived in a way that, that totally, well, it got you killed. You lived in a way that shook the whole world to its core because you refused to, to live the way they lived. And I just ask God that you would open our hearts to one or two small ways this week where we have received grace from you and where we can freely pass that on. Just as you've given yourself to us, help us to lay down our lives for the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we close. Saying, I will build my life upon his love. I forget the word. It's a sure foundation. And I will put my trust in you and I will not be shaken. That, that's exactly what, what this passage points us to. It, it's not a cycle of violence. It's not getting ahead. It's, not, it's building your life upon the love that you have been loved with. And today you each had, had an image of a person taking uh, juice and bread and saying, the blood of Christ has been shed for you. The body of Christ has been broken for you. But I want you to realize what you did was you took that into you and now you go out into the world and in every situation you encounter, you mean, it's not, you're not giving communion, but what you're doing is you're saying, the, the blood of Christ has been shed, the body of Christ has been broken, I want to offer that to you by the way I respond. That, that's a powerful image that I want you to take with you and realize that just like you came up to a table, you're, you're dispersed into the world to be instruments of the love and grace of God to the people around you. And when people taste that... Oh my goodness, you guys won't even be able to contain the hope and the change that can come from something like that. Amen.